downtown London, and we have a lot of things to get to. We have another candidate officially for mayor for the city of London. That was unveiled on 980CFPL and at Innovation Works going back, what are we talking about, just under an hour ago. So... Ed Holder is officially in the race for mayor of London. We're going to talk about that. How much does this tilt the race for mayor? Does it tilt it at all? Need your thoughts on that. Plus, if you're wondering about BRT, Ed Holder didn't give his entire thoughts on it, but he gave enough to let us know exactly where he's positioned on it. So we'll have that for you in just a moment. We also have to talk about the changes at Ontario Hydro. We have, just so you know, and Craig Needles had talked about this, I don't know, if if we count up the number of emails and phone messages left for anyone in the Ontario government regarding the sex ed curriculum and the number of either responses that say, oh, very busy day, oh, very sorry, can't join you, or just no responses at all, or busy signals, if you actually try to place a call right now to Ms. Thompson, the health minister at her Queen's Park office, I get nothing but busy signals. And I tried. I even had my phone. You know when your phone says, user is busy, would you like to call back? I would say, yes. And then I would just let my phone do it every couple of minutes. My phone couldn't get this. Siri couldn't get this done. So the Ontario government knows that this is not something that is going to be seen as favorable at least by everyone, and they don't want to talk about it. Isn't it a, I always, I'm not fascinated by it because I understand it, but I always like to watch the government before they become the government, the party before they become the government. You want to talk to them about something? Absolutely. Can I make time for you? What do you take in your coffee? You like ice cream? I could bring some ice cream. And then as soon as they do get into power, Hello? 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 No answer. So they don't want to talk back about that, but we can still address it at some point. Hydro is very interesting. Apparently the $10 million severance, I haven't heard too much about it being paid out. Uh, Mayo Schmidt? I haven't heard. Where is that? If I was Mr. Schmidt, and if everybody has it right, that there was a $10 million severance and somebody tried to tell me, you know, you can have a $400,000 one-time payment Hmm? or a $10 million severance, I'd be uh, more inclined to take the second one. Yeah, let me think. $400,000 or $10 million. You wouldn't even have to call an accountant to figure out which one was bigger. I don't know what's going on there, but I don't quite... Trust it. We are also going to talk about decriminalizing prostitution because there are some interesting things happening on that topic. And we will look at whether or not you go to a concert to hear the band play the songs that you know or just to hear the band. Because at Rock the Park, we've got all kinds of bands. Some of them are unleashing new material. Others have material that dates back into the 80s. Are you going to hear the 80s stuff? I only know one song by you, and I'm waiting for you to play it, and you haven't played it yet. Does that frustrate you? We'll talk about that after 2 o'clock. Living in a small house, and we mentioned it yesterday, how close are we getting to the movie Minority Report? You know what? We're coming pretty darn close, and Facebook seems to be prepared for the revolution.
and we'll get to that after 2.30 today. Great to have you with us. You can give me a call at any time, 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. For all of you non-soccer fans, there is no soccer today. You have to go to Uzbekistan to find soccer. You have to actually go to, where is there soccer today? I think there might be some in New Zealand. There aren't very many matches that people are going to pay attention to. And the World Cup, for those of you who don't like soccer, is almost over. And that will pave the way for the mayoral race in London, Ontario. World Cup ends, things heat up. It seems to be going hand in hand. Things got a little hotter today because Ed Holder made it official just afternoon at Innovation Works and on 980 CFPL. Ladies and gentlemen, today I am pleased to announce my candidacy for mayor of the city of London. And that did it. So Ed Holder is into the race. That was the proverbial off goes the hat and into the... I don't know why you throw a hat into a race. Hats are inanimate objects. But that's a story for another day. Holder did point to challenges, some new, some old. He did mention transit. He also mentioned a new problem like the impact of tariffs on manufacturing in this area. But it did eventually come down to BRT. Everybody knows that's going to be a massive, massive point of contention throughout this entire campaign. We now have over a dozen mayoral candidates. What about BRT? Well, Ed Holder did address that. There is one issue that is so large, so well publicized and so controversial that I feel I can't leave the podium today without sharing my position. That issue, as you gather, is properly called bus rapid transit better known simply as BRT. BRT is one element of the approved London plan. It has been under careful study and scrutiny and recently approved by City Council to help more, to help provide more reliable bus transport through dedicated bus lanes along a north-south and east-west corridor. BRT now awaits provincial and federal funding, both of which are essentials to get it built. To its supporters, BRT is the right solution to create new jobs and ensure that London does not suffer from urban sprawl. To its detractors, BRT is too expensive and will cause major delays to car traffic, both during its construction and ongoing as driving lanes are permanently removed from major streets. And I recognize the issue and I recognize the challenge that it is in this city. Ladies and gentlemen, to be clear, I cannot support the current BRT plan. I know that the position will disappoint BRT supporters who have worked so hard on the project for years. Here are my concerns. First, it will cost a half billion dollars, of which virtually all the funds will be used to assist the small percentage of daily commuters who use the bus. Second, it will cause at least 10 years of traffic headaches for the majority of our citizens who will drive cars to work and permanently reduce the number of lanes available to cars once the dedicated bus lanes are built. Third, to me, BRT does not meet the, city's, uh, the city plan's vision of exciting, exceptional, or connected. While the best of the world is exploring clean energy, self-driving vehicles, and higher technology that open up unlimited mobility options for everyone, we'd end up in a 10-plus years with fixed technology with limited flexibility to adapt to the future needs of our city. Now, I'm fully committed to our city's plan of an exciting, exceptional, and connected London. And I'd embrace bold infrastructure investments that could speed the way for all. So I ask the question, can we find common ground with those who support BRT? 
I'd like to think so. And I've committed to meet and listen to those supporters before I finalize my platform and all solutions at the end of the summer. So there you are. That's Ed Holder on bus rampant transit. And to break it down, he does not necessarily say, okay, I'm, I'm in, I'm out. But look at what he mentions. We're talking $500,000, half billion. We're talking about 10 years of construction. That's a long time. That's a decade of construction. That's a long time. So he seems ready to explore other avenues. Now, he's admitting there are transit issues to look at, but let's not necessarily go right at BRT the way it's laid out. Is that going to bring him some support? Well, it depends which side of the BRT fence you fall on. Here's the bigger question. How much does this tilt the race for mayor in London? Ed Holder made it official today. Let's open up the phones, 519-643-2222, or you can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. He gave just a little bit of a statement today. There is more campaigning to come, but everybody's had a couple of days to think about this. Does it change who you were planning to vote for in the municipal election? 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. Back with more in a moment. London Live underway on a Thursday. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Greatest listeners ever. Thank you for this. Rob sent in an email outlining throwing a hat in the ring and figuring out what it means. This comes from villagehatshop.com. Of course it does. Rob, how did you even know to look there? Throwing a hat into the ring comes from 19th century saloon keepers. Of course it does. 19th century saloon keepers who would put a boxing ring in the middle of the bar room so that customers who wanted to fight each other would have a place to do so without starting what villagehatshop.com calls a Donnybrook. We don't want any Donnybrooks. The world was a different place back then, wasn't it? If a man wanted to indicate that he would fight anybody, he would take off his hat and throw it in the ring. And according to VillageHatShop.com, at one point, Theodore Roosevelt declared he was running for office with a speech that included a line that went something like, My hat is in the ring, and I am stripped to the waist. He did well. I don't know if he had to fight anybody that night. Anybody not want to vote for him? Ah... I think I'll vote for him. I don't want him grabbing my hat and throwing it in the ring. Could you do that? Could you grab somebody else's hat? If you wanted to beat somebody up, could you take off their hat and throw it in the ring and then throw your hat beside it? Boom. Entertainment. Imagine how many times that would be done today. Imagine the videos that would exist. Forget about all these proposed fight clubs everywhere. That would be a whole lot more fun. All right. Back to other matters, like, has this changed the way that you think? Ed Holder is now officially in the race for London Mayor. You've had a couple of days to think about it, so let's throw that question into the ring. And please, no fighting. 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca or tweet me at stubbs980. Bill, you kick this off. What do you think? Well, my concern is is that, from what I've read, Ed Holder is living in Sarnia. He's like Joe Fontana. He owns property in London, so he can throw his hat, or he can enter the mayoral race for London, but he doesn't actually live here. Uh, you know, and I'm not sure that that's what's best for London. I, I would prefer, I'm, I'm sure Paul Palatel lives in London, but I, 
I, and I don't know about Paul Chang. I think he lives here, but I don't know. Um, we had trouble pinning that down the last election as to exactly where Paul Chang was. But that, you know, that concerns me when someone who doesn't even live in the city thinks that, you know, oh, here's a, an easy race. You know, the, they don't have an incumbent there. I'll run for mayor. They know me. I've, I've been uh, an MP in their city, and and I've done things in their city. I don't live there. I don't like the city, so I don't live in it. And, uh, but, you know, hey, I'll take the top job. Well, like Bill, that. I don't know exactly where Ed Holder is living right now, so I don't want to say he's living in Sarnia, but he is going to be on the Craig Needle Show tomorrow at 9 o'clock, and so that could be something that he can explain then. Yeah. Okay, thanks I for the call. Bill, thanks so much. 519-643-2222. We'll go to Ron. Hey, Mike. Hey, Ron. That's for that last guy, Diane Haskett, when she was running for... Um, I think it was MP of London North Center. She was still living in Washington, D.C., but that's another story. Um, you know what, about the uh, transit, all they're doing is splitting the vote again because I had considered already voting for either Orser or Cheng because of their stances on transit. And in some cases, if you live across town, like if you live in uh, Byron or Argyle, you're only going to get there three or four minutes faster than what you get there now. And the focus is also on getting the traffic moving down Warncliffe and Oxford and Wellington or Richmond because of the student traffic from uh, the university or the college. Sure. Now, Ron, we haven't talked too much about this. We've talked a couple of times, but you're somebody who relies on public transit as a big-time means of transportation for you. For BRT, concerned about BRT, against BRT, where do you sit on that fence? I'm against it. Against it. Because it's not going to get me there any faster. Because I take London Transit on occasion, but I also have paratransit privileges. And if I'm on paratransit and if I'm stuck in traffic, I'm stuck, right? If I'm on London Transit, like I said before, if I lived in a Byron or an Argyle, I'm only getting there three or four minutes faster. So it's not doing enough for you? No. For 10 years and half a billion dollars? Absolutely not. <laughs> Ron, thanks for the call. Yeah, later, man. See ya. 519-643-2222. Richard. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you this afternoon? Great, thanks. And you? Well, I'll tell you, Mike, this definitely right won't change the outcome of my vote. But I think that Ed, uh, Ed Holder would make a great candidate for mayor. I don't know much about the gentleman, right, his time in Ottawa or whatever, because I naturally never heard much about him, right, living in Western Canada. But having said that, what I've listened to Ed Holder, he's uh, a moderate. He's well-respected, right? It crosses all political lines. He's liked by people from all different political parties, right? And one thing I can certainly say about Ed Holder, and I would even put this in writing, he would never ever bring shame or embarrassment to our city. And what I mean by that, I can rest assure you that Ed Holder would never ever say to a liberal prime minister by the name of Justin Trudeau, who I happen to despise very much, but at the same time he is our prime minister and I have to respect that. And I know that Ed Holder would never ever say to him, Mr. Prime Minister, you get your A down to London. I know that Ed Holder, right, would never do something like that. So I think he would make a fantastic candidate, right? 
right to run for mayor of London. As for him having a residence in Sarnia, well, I'm not overly fond of that. What I'd like to see right as a candidate and uh, the next mayor, I'd like to see them own at least a piece of property in London, and I'd like to know that they are a property taxpayer. After all, if they're going to represent the great city of London, they should at least right be uh, paying property taxes the same as the rest of Londoners have to do. And one last quick comment I want to make, Mike, is on the $6 million man. I can rest assure you the $6 million man, right, Mayor Schmidt, would not have given up a $10 million severance package, right, to take an early retirement, right, and accept $400,000, right? You can rest assured that there was a backroom deal that was made on that one. And on that note, Mike, you have a wonderful afternoon. That's the way I read it, Richard. Is that not the way you read it, that that, that $400,000 one lump payment is is now taking over for the $10 million severance? Am I wrong? Well, Mike, think about it, right? If you knew, right, that Richard could fire you and you could walk away with a $10 million severance package, right, would Mike be willing, right, to retire early and take no. a $400,000 retirement settlement, no. right, when he could walk away with $10 million? Absolutely not. Let's put it this way. Anyone who believes that, Mike, I've got some good swamp land out there in Florida to sell you. Me too. I don't even have any. I'm going to go buy some just so I can sell it. Okay. Richard, thank you. You have a good afternoon, Mike. <laughs> Take care. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. We'll get to that at some point. That's how I read it. Last word on this goes to Bill. Bill, what do you think? Mike, I sent you an email. Uh, I got it and I read it. Well, let me tell you. I'm not taking sides. I want to deal with facts. We now are going to start a discussion that will prove that the BRT, because it segregates buses and other traffic and modes of transportation, that I I can factually show you, and this discussion in the next few months will prove it, that it will not be faster, it will not be more reliable, and in fact, people will take longer to get from home home to destination and back than they do now, and the traffic will be a mess, and there'll be a very major operating expense because they've manipulated the revenue to misrepresent what's actually going to happen. So the reality is, Mike, today we're now hopefully... I'm going to move from an island to a community that's truly going to discuss the facts and look at the issues and make an informed decision because the BRT as proposed is a disaster waiting to happen. Bill, I look forward to reading that. As you said in that email, actual data will show assumptions won't work as previously noted. Get to work on that data. Have yourself a great afternoon. News is coming up next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. If you're heading to the GTA or Toronto as it used to be called, Anytime in the next little while, do know that there is heightened police presence in a number of spots now. They've said key tourist locations. So you've got CN Tower, which is where the initial heightened police presence started. Now we've got Canada's Wonderland. Global News Toronto is indicating the police are beefing up presence at other spots. Uh, There is a potential threat. That's about all that they have said so far. Potential risk to public safety. Another word, another phrase that was used. So as we know, um, nothing has happened at this point. But again, heightened police presence and it may make getting around in those areas because going to Canada's Wonderland on a Thursday is better in the summertime than going on a Saturday or Sunday. So if you're headed that way, Toronto Police had tweeted, we are responding to an unconfirmed, 
uncorroborated piece of information relating to the GTA. As a result of this information, you will see an increased number of police officers throughout the city, specifically in the downtown core. We've been talking about Ed Holder taking off his hat. I don't even know if he, I don't think he wore a hat today. And throwing it into the ring. He's not looking to fight anybody. This is not, as we learned, that's where throwing a hat into the ring came from. Rob sent us that email. In saloons in the 19th century, you could take off your hat and throw it in a boxing ring, which apparently each saloon had to have. It's a lot better than it spilling out into the streets. That's when men settled things like men. But we're talking about Ed Holder and... Throwing his hat into the ring, declaring that he will run for mayor. It is now official. And, Mike, you wanted to have a thought on this. The thought is yours. Yeah, I hear a lot of accolades coming out about uh, Ed Holder. And I think if people remember back to 2015, Ed decided to skip the debate debates and uh, his, his uh, ride became liberal. Also, Ed uh, was supposed to participate or asked to participate in the Diamond Aircraft expansion and uh, possible check-giving. He decided not to go. And all of a sudden, the uh, NDP and conservatives and, you know, municipal, uh, pardon me, the federal liberals and everything else were there. Ed started crying and says, hey, I wasn't invited. What's going on here? I should be there. And so he ended up losing his seat. He worked for Saudi Arabia. Whether he still lives in Sarnia or not, I don't know. But I have a lot of questions about somebody that's a whiner. And uh, perhaps uh, he did serve the area somewhat well, but uh, he sort of let uh, London down in that uh, you know, 2015 election. So uh, I'd be a little concerned. Mike, thanks for the thoughts. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Always welcome. So just so you are aware, in case you haven't heard, we have Ed Holder coming into the studio with Craig Needles tomorrow at 9 o'clock. And he will be here talking about any number of things. And perhaps the 2015 debates will come up. Perhaps the Diamond Aircraft check presentation will come up. Perhaps Living in Sarnia will come up. So be listening tomorrow. Craig Needles Show, 9 a.m. Up next, we're going to look at a difficult topic. And, and one that has just become very interesting based on the fact that a poll was released earlier today. If we think about decriminalizing, this is a favorite word, it seems, of the federal liberals. Boy, do they like the word decriminalizing. Let's decriminalize marijuana. Well, that's happening on October 17th. And then the suggestion, why don't we decriminalize every drug used for recreation? Hey, yeah, you want to use heroin? Hey, as long as you're in your own house, what could happen? You want to sprinkle a little fentanyl on your Cheerios at home? What could happen? We'll just decriminalize all of that. Um, okay, uh, I, I still can't get my head around that. And then the idea about decriminalizing prostitution. Now, they've laid this out, decriminalizing prostitution for anybody over the age of 18. Mm, okay, all right. Well... Where exactly does this sit? If you read some of what the liberals have said, and here's some of what the liberals have said, um, we happen to have a situation where they seem to believe it is necessary to go ahead and, and look at this issue. They seem to be on the side of this issue. And here it comes from... A liberal website, be it resolved, the Liberal Party of Canada consult not just with those involved in sex work, but with surrounding communities to ensure that changes 
Two, legislation ensure the safety and well-being of these surrounding communities and their families. Okay, that's fine. Um, be it resolved, the Liberal Party uh, would like to repeal the 2014 Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act, begin a consultation period with those in the sex work industry and advocacy groups, and move to decriminalize consensual sex work and the purchase of said sex work for those over the age of 18. So that's something they've been looking at for a while. This has gone all the way to the Supreme Court. And the way it's presented, and I've gone back through quite a few news pieces on this, the way it's been presented is that, hey, this this embodies the wishes of everybody. And that's why the poll results that came out very early this morning are especially fascinating. Because if the government is speaking on a collective voice of the people, that's great. That's their job. We still live in a democracy. If the people want the sex trade decriminalized, okay, let's look at this. And then, yeah, that's doing the right thing. That's talking to people in that particular trade. That is finding out how they would be affected, how people around them would be affected. That's the right way to do things. That's great. But what if that isn't the sense And the poll results today indicate, yeah, that's not the real consensus. And these poll results are done by Ipsos in conjunction with the London Abused Women's Center. So we'll hear all about those in just a moment. But keep it in mind that it has been presented that, yeah, you know what? This is something that needs to be looked at. This is something that a lot of people seem to want, decriminalization of prostitution, Well, these poll results are very different. We'll have them for you in seconds. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, let's run this back a bit. We had changes made to the criminal code by the conservatives regarding sex trade workers. And then we had things put forward saying, hey, wait a minute, this is coming from originally from the young liberals. Uh, Those changes actually create a climate that makes sex workers unlikely to work with the police and be involved with more serious crimes. This has led to the idea that perhaps things should be decriminalized in the sex trade for anybody over the age of 18. So that went all the way to the Supreme Court. There's been a lot of discussion about it. The liberals have kind of spearheaded this. And yes, they want to look into it. But the presentation of this has been, yeah, this this is what people want. And then this morning... We get a poll that was done by the London Abused Women's Center and Ipsos, and it outlines something that appears to be very different. Joining us to talk about this is Megan Walker, Executive Director of the London Abused Women's Center. Megan, how are you? I'm awesome, thank you. How are you doing, Mike? Well, I'm fascinated here, because when you do something like this, I can't imagine how the meeting goes where you say, okay, we're opening up a door here, we have no idea what's on the other side, but you get your poll results back that you did in conjunction with Ipsos polling. What did they say? Well, it's interesting because we really opened the door to the issue of prostitution legislation around 10 or 11 years ago when uh, we started seeing, um, you know, the pro-sex work lobby coming forward requesting decriminalized prostitution. And as you know, it made its way up to the Supreme Court of Canada, and uh, the Supreme Court of Canada gave the government of uh, Canada in 2014 that one year to develop legislation. And so the legislation was developed and we supported it and it does decriminalize women in prostitution but holds uh, uh, pimps 
um, brothel owners and uh, sex buyers criminally accountable for their behavior. So it was perfect. We thought this is exactly what we were asking for. And then um, three weeks after the legislation be, uh, be actually became legislation, the pro-decriminalization um, lobby came out again. So this has been relentless. And we thought, finally thought, you know, we wrote an evidence-based research project showing that decriminalized prostitution continues to further sexual exploitation of women, results in significant harm. Uh, we presented that to the government and still they wanted more. So we thought the best way we can deliver is to present a poll, which is independent, third party, by uh, a credible pollster like uh, Ipsos. And we now have the results of that poll, uh, which so- show significantly that people in Ontario do not support decriminalized prostitution, including decriminalizing pimps, brothels, and sex buyers. In fact, most people we found out didn't even understand what the prostitution legislation we have right now is, but when it was explained to them, 58% of Ontarians supported what we have currently in place. And we're hoping finally we can close the, you know, the book on this chapter, and we're also hopeful that the Liberals will look at this and say, you know what, people don't support pimps, people don't support brothels, and people don't support sex buyers exploiting women. What they do support is ensuring women have real choices in their lives and have access to support services. We're talking with Megan Walker from the London Abused Women's Centre. Megan, you mentioned those numbers, and we've got to stop because sometimes numbers will fly by. Let's stop on those numbers because, again, you would have had no idea. You're sending this out to the public. Any old thing could come back. 75% of Ontarians consider prostitution harmful to women and girls. You must have had some some discussions, some maybe some thoughts as to what the numbers could be. How closely do they match what those discussions and thoughts were? Well, based on the work we do and the public awareness and education we do, we did feel that most Ontarians would come back saying prostitution is harmful to women and girls. We did not ever imagine we would have a number that was 75%. And based on what we have heard from um, the Liberal Party of Canada, we were told that the majority of Canadians supported decriminalized prostitution. And in fact, Although we only polled Ontarians, um, it would likely be consistent across the country, but 58% of Ontarians, that's a huge amount, that's a huge shift in what we've been told before, oppose any change to the current legislation. So so we've often been told by the pro-decriminalization lobby that prostitution is a job, like all jobs. And yet 85% of Ontarians feel that, first of all, this is not a job, but it's, and it's not something that they would support for a member of their family that they loved. So it's difficult to fathom how a politician could support something like this, decriminalizing sexual exploitation, but not understand the connection between doing that for some women but not for their own loved ones and children.
the, the, the numbers are absolutely compelling. And seem to go completely against what everybody was being led to believe. Where do you think the liberals were getting their information from? I think most people are getting their information from a very small group of people who are very vocal, and they're misleading the public. Um, so, you know, we've heard over and over again um, from the same people in this country, the same organizations, that prostitution is a choice, it's a job like all others, um, you know, we're making lots of money, and it's a free autonomous uh, decision in our lives. Research does not support that. Evidence does not support that. In fact, the evidence supports that 97% of individuals who are in prostitution want to leave. But for some reason, this 3% of the population has uh, been loud and been able to influence uh, politicians. So the Liberal Party of Canada, if it, they're wrong. And remember, that decision they made at their convention was made without any debate. It was made without any information being provided to their membership. And they supported it as a policy resolution moving forward for, for election review. And we're saying, you know what, if you are a government, and we're speaking directly to the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Trudeau, if you are somebody that believes in equality rights for women, you need to stand on the side of women who are being exploited and assaulted and, and tortured every day in prostitution and trafficking. And you need to say immediately, before all of these people continue to be concerned, you need to stand up and say, we will not decriminalize male violence against women in prostitution, and we will not decriminalize pimps, traffickers, sex buyers, and brothel owners. Megan Walker with us from the London Abused Women's Centre. We're talking about a poll that the London Abused Women's Centre did in conjunction with Ipsos that shows 75% of Ontarians consider prostitution harmful to women and girls. Six in ten Ontarians oppose decriminalized prostitution. Comes out at about 58%. So some pretty telling numbers that go against what the Liberal government had been saying. Megan, the results are new to the world, but... Are you hearing anything yet about this particular information? No. So we released the poll publicly internationally this morning because as a local agency, we say any decision we make at the London Abuse Women's Centre must have an, a positive impact on women and girls around the world. And so we work with international partners, including Equality Now and the Coalition Against Women in Trafficking. Um, so the three of us collectively came together to do this work, and uh, we're releasing it internationally this morning. We did at uh, 9.30, I think it went out. Um, and so, and we've also now sent it to all of the members of Parliament. Um, this is a nonpartisan issue for us. This is an issue that involves um, violence against women, and all parties need to commit to end that. So um, we'll get there. Will be lots of noise for sure, um, but we'll just continue to go back to the evidence. You know, Ipsos is a very credible pollster in this country and uh, and in the United States, and. We are very pleased with the results, and this is the most comprehensive poll on prostitution that has uh, been done to date. Megan, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Take good care.
You too. Megan Walker, executive director of the London Abused Women's Center. So that gives us some numbers. And this is why I like this thing. This was not a poll that was done just by, you know, a a bunch of people who decided, you know what, if we get together and we call enough people or if we set up a table in a mall, uh, what's mathematically valid? uh, If we get a thousand answers, sure. This was done by Ipsos, so they threw it out there. Hey, you in favor of decriminalizing? Uh, No, no, to the tune of 75%. And what do you think of this legislation? The interesting thing is that, as Megan pointed out, a lot of people admitted, I don't really know a lot about the legislation. We hear so many stories, we read so many stories, but to actually sit down and comprehend it, You have to have a legal mind. You have to love reading legal jargon. And it's a very difficult thing to read. You know, let's face it. A lot of people don't get to the end of their rental agreement or their mortgage agreement. Yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah, okay, this looks fine. Can I have the house? Do I, can I, if I sign here, do I get the key? That's what we're looking for. Back to tell you what's coming up in our next hour. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up. We are going to talk about concerts. We are going to talk about why you might need a mask in public. It would protect you. Any old mask. There was actually a guy who was at the corner of Wellington and Commissioners today, and he had a sign. He was looking for donations of any kind. He was dressed as Spider-Man. I don't know if that helps you with your donations. But he's on the right track if he plans to live in our world into the future. We'll tell you why. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Throne speech is underway in the legislature. We still have a heightened threat in Toronto. And we'll keep tabs on that. Toronto police saying earlier today that they had heightened the number of officers around the CN Tower and in downtown Toronto. And then we had Global News Toronto reporting via the police that there was an increased number of officers at key tourist locations such as Canada's Wonderland. They haven't been saying what this is all about. No doubt that will come at some point. But this is uh, this is just one of those concerns. And the worst thing it can be is a hoax. And chances are, history shows, there's a good chance that it's a hoax. That's where you have to prosecute people who decide to hoax. Because you can track them down. If you think you are innocent and if you are invisible... And you are anonymous, you should know by now you're wrong. Anybody who expects to be invisible, anonymous, all of those things, you would have to just sit in your house in a darkened basement and not use any kind of computer. Otherwise, I'm not tinfoil hatting it. People know where you are. People know who you are. Go after somebody. If this is a hoax, that person has to be shown. This is a hoax. That person has to be charged. You know how much money is being wasted right now if this is a hoax? If it's not, that's also scary. But if it is, this is not just a, "Ah, good, it was just a hoax. The Foo Fighters are playing in Toronto. I needed to be able to get around there. No, that's, that's not the way it needs to stop. So we'll get to that. Speaking of concerts, 
We do have Rock the Park underway. Big success last night. Don't forget there is a big show coming up and a big reason to go to it outside of the music on Saturday. FM 96 is going to be on site. And I don't know if you've heard, but they have the mayor of FM 96. We talked about Ed Holder last hour. The mayor of FM 96 is going to be selected based on your votes. And our own Devin Peacock from Global News Radio 980 CFPL, you also hear him on the morning show with Taz and Jim on FM 96. He's developed some very interesting tack ads. I think of all the campaigns that are being run so far, his, his is the most intriguing and maybe the most well-run. He's got quite a staff behind him, and he's a brilliant guy to boot. But you can vote at Rock the Park, and you can do that on Saturday. So that's coming up. Here's a concert question, and fire me an email. If you want to call in about this, you can, 643-2222. If you want to tweet me, I'll throw this out on Twitter as well. Do you go to a concert and need to hear the songs that you know from that artist? Like, Are you disappointed if you walk away? I remember walking out of Rock the Park years ago after the Tragically Hip had played, and... Somebody was saying, oh, they didn't play this song, or I didn't like their version of New Orleans is Sinking. Oh, I wish they'd played this. The Tragically Hip at that point had, what, eight studio albums? Well, we're going to play for six days and play every piece of music that we can possibly play. That's not the way it goes. You just go and you just enjoy, and if they play your favorite song, great. Do you need to hear your favorite song? Because we've got a lot of... Artists that are in town today, tomorrow, even Saturday, who go back in time a bit. And you might only know one or two songs from them. What if you go and they put together a set that features songs of my new generation? It's an album I'm working on. I'm going to sit here and play these for you. You know the body language of the crowd. It's, oh, okay. Time to hit the beer tent. So shoot me an email. Do you do you need to hear those songs? 519-643-2222 if you want to call in about that. Coming up in a half hour from now, you need to hear this stuff. And again, you don't need to tinfoil hat it in order to listen. But here's the question. Have you ever posted a picture on Facebook? Chances are you have. Chances are you have a Facebook page. Whether or not you use it, I don't use mine very much. I use it a lot like LinkedIn where you just go on and and you go, oh, okay, I have a friend request, confirm. Yeah, I remember that person from high school, confirm. That's about all. I, I get very tired of Facebook very quickly because it's adult show and tell. I don't like it. But if you have posted a picture on Facebook, you are helping Facebook in the future. And this could be a reason why one day, in order to go outside, you will want to wear a mask or perhaps even heightened makeup. So the trend in makeup these days is a lot of it, it seems. Am I wrong to think that? That people who use makeup are using a lot. You can transform your face. It's crazy. People who know what they're doing, they can look totally different. You realize eventually you have to wipe that stuff off or it just comes off. But 
if you have used Facebook and have posted one picture or many pictures, you're actually helping them. And you're bringing our world a lot closer to the world of John Anderton in Minority Report. John Anderton. You could use a Guinness, John Anderton. Get away. Forget your troubles. They were advertising to him in Minority Report because cameras were reading his retina and they knew exactly who he was and his buying history and obviously that he liked a Guinness. That's the kind of thing that Facebook has put a patent on. But it's more instead of retina because remember we, we had thought that retina was going to be the way to go? I, did you ever not feel comfortable about that? Yeah, the the fewer number of lasers I can have drilling into the back of my retinas, I think the better, you know? You want to read me with a retina scan? Yeah, I'd, I'd rather not. Uh, do we know the long-term damage of this? Because I've got two eyes right now, and, you know, I'm I'm lucky to have that, and I, I want to keep them. So... Do we know about retinal scans? Well, facial recognition is being heightened based on all of the pictures posted and tagged on Facebook. And we're going to get to that in less than a half hour from now. Up next, why you need to perhaps think about living in a smaller house. Not a tiny house. We're not asking you to do that. Just a smaller house. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, here's what we need to look back at. Yesterday, what happened? Bank of Canada, what'd they do? They raised interest rates, quarter of a point. Not a big bump, but for a long, long time, what happened? We kept interest rates so low, people were borrowing all kinds of money. People were getting in over their heads on mortgages. So there is a movement right now, and I, I like this. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. A movement whereby... Canadians should buy smaller homes. Is this something that you are entertaining? Because when you are young, what do you want? Talk to a teenager right now. Talk to a teenage boy. They have a vision of their future, especially if they're somewhere under 16. Because 16, I don't know what it is. They start to develop their sense. You realize the male brain does not fully develop by 25, 26 or isn't fully developed until then, makes a lot of sense. I've never thought mine has been completely developed at all. I, I still find I'm, I'm missing things. But that tends to be an issue. But you talk to one of those teenage boys, what do they expect their house to look like when they're older? I'm going to have 19 bedrooms. I'm going to live in a mansion. I'm going to have a staff. They'll cook my meals because I don't like to cook. Got to have a basketball court. Going to have the latest surround sound, whatever that is, in my movie theater. I'm going to have a gym in my home. And then you grow up and you realize, okay, well, that's that's fine if you can pull that off, which very few people can. Because especially nowadays, kids are so locked into the celebrity side of life. Things are so, you know, so tangible to them based on what they see from celebrities. You want to know what LeBron James did yesterday? He'll tell you. Follow him on Instagram. So many NBA players will do that. 
so many people in movies. It used to be if an actor was out of work, they tried to get jobs here, there, and all over. Hey, you you work in downtown L.A. Brad Pitt was a chicken. He wore a chicken costume outside of a chicken place. I think it's Cluck Cluck Chicken. It wasn't even good. This is not even good chicken. But that's what he did when he wasn't doing movies, and eventually he became Brad Pitt, and now he has 19 bedrooms and five houses and a staff and probably nice surround sound in his movie theater and a gym at home. So kids always think, well, that's that's tangible. I can reach out and touch that because I see it. I'm allowed into those worlds. Actors now, when they're out of work, should be doing a good job staying relevant just by getting into those kids' worlds. But if you actually think about it, if you buy a great big house – What exactly is that doing for you? It can be a status thing. It can be a thing that makes you feel good. If you drive into the driveway and you have a a substantial home, you will feel good. I earn this. That's good. That's important in life. That's Hey, I have no problem with that whatsoever because I understand that. I don't have one of those. I drive into my driveway and say, yeah, that's my house. But I'm more, how much of this house do I use? We use every square inch of our house. We aren't supposed to sit in the living room very often. I don't know if you have this. We have in the bathroom, there are show towels. You can't touch those. They're there for decoration. We also have a little living room that my son and I keep sitting in because it's really comfortable. But we're not supposed to sit in it because it messes up the pillows. That's show furniture. We only have one other couch, so I don't know. I like to mix it up. But if you have a big house, what ultimately does it leave you? It leaves you with more to clean. It leaves you with more to keep up. You know, if you have a house with two furnaces, that's two furnaces. You have to keep up. That's a lot of furnaces. You can probably get by on one. So, with the Bank of Canada raising its prime lending rate by a quarter point, one of the suggestions that has come up is to look at smaller homes. Buy smaller. And a Royal LePage study was done that we talked about with regard to London, and and it showed a lot of growth in London. But they took that on Global News, and Maylan Fang, who is a research associate at Simon Fraser University, um, looked at this and was looking at, at the idea that buying smaller works in some markets doesn't work in urban environments where the market is already unaffordable. But we don't live in that right now. So if you want to live in a smaller home in southwestern Ontario, it's easily done. You can find it and you will pay less for it. Is this a conversation you would ever have? Or do you feel, hey, if I can afford 3,000 square feet, 3,500 square I'm going to take it. I'm going to do it because I've earned that. But the idea of buying smaller always intrigues me because we seem to always build up and you get to your biggest house usually if you have a family when it's at its apex. And then when the kids start moving out, you start looking around and you say, pretty empty in here. Uh, Don't really need all this space. Don't really need that big backyard. We're not playing catching it anymore. Nobody's coming over. Don't really need the bigger kitchen. Not a lot of teenagers crowding around it eating all our food. So... We're making it smaller. Is that a conversation you've ever had? Let me know if it is. 519-643-2222. You can email mike at 980cfpl.ca. Because 
I find it really fascinating. We have all of this excess space, and we were pushed to do that for a little while. But now you look at the generation that is coming up, and the generation that is coming up is very aware of things that we didn't even think about. Because as much as we want to call the younger generation, and I don't know where to pinpoint them, let's call them 20 to 30. As much as we want to think that that generation is self-absorbed, it really isn't. It's very self-aware. But by being self-aware, it is also aware of its surroundings. People from that generation do not look and say, okay, I'm going to win the rat race and I'm going to buy all this stuff and I'm going to... They're more concerned about saying, you know what, how, how exactly can I make this a better place? Because the people before me haven't really done a good job of that. And I think it falls on me to do it. And they're more willing to look and say, I'm not going to buy that great big monstrosity that is going to cost me, you know, three, $400 to heat a month or air condition. I guess it wouldn't be heat a month when you have electric heating. Uh, but air condition per month or is going to cost me all kinds of money anytime I have to do any kind of home repair. I'm not into that. I'm not, I don't want to do that. I will live in the space in which I fit. And I think we're going to hear more and more of that. And they also become aware that time has kind of passed on by and opportunity has passed on by. If you're looking for a big house, you're going to be paying for it. And right now, the small houses are really expensive. Right now, buying a condo is seriously expensive. So this is something that merits looking into. This is something that merits thinking about simply because we have to start going this way. And if anything, that's going to drag down the market. What do you always hear around here? At least we had for a while. If you've got a house that is, say, $400,000 or above, and this may have recently changed to $500,000 or above, you don't tend to have very many people looking at it. You want people to look at your house, three ninety nine, nine ninety nine, and all of a sudden floodgates open, and you may have all kinds of offers. I talked to a real estate agent not too long ago who said they had a house on the market, and it was four hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and it had been on with a different agent, and they came in and said, you know, I think, I think I got an idea. Why don't we take this house that you have priced for $460,000 and why don't we lower that price? And immediately the homeowner says, ah, wait, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that at all. No lowering of prices, please. Well, why don't we put it back to $399? Just see what happens. They created a bidding war and the house sold for $475. Wouldn't sell for $460. But still had that value, lower the price, sells for four seventy five. But you have that, you know, that opportunity in in a, a much smaller area if you have that big house, that smaller house. I think we're gonna see more and more people looking at that, and I think this next generation is going to have a need for smaller houses. Not necessarily two bedroom condo type houses, but Houses that don't have all this excess area. Houses that don't have the big spiral staircase as you walk in. I think that's going to become what they're looking for. Pendulum always swings, right? Always swings. Uh, we have a couple of notes to get to. One from Rob on concerts. Rob says, when you originally brought it up, I didn't give it much thought. 
Then I got to thinking about seeing John Mellencamp in Atlantic City a few years ago. I left the concert thinking he didn't do this song. He didn't do that song. So I guess I expect to hear my favorite. Side note, won a couple of tickets and... Thought I'd give them to a friend. She has tickets. Uh, I'm trying to sell them. If I can't sell them, can we give them away? I can't give them away. We, can, we can't do giveaways, unfortunately, on the show. And I do have another note that comes from Kathy regarding Rock the Park. The Saturday Rock the Park showtimes, remember, you can do your voting for the mayor of FM 96 on Saturday. Kathy says uh, park showtimes have changed uh, info on the ticket receipt says gates open at 4, show starts at 5. It's actually gates open at 3, bands will start at 4. And Kathy says, I really didn't want to miss Texas King. So keep that in mind if you have tickets to the Saturday show. Looks like gates will open at 3 on Saturday, bands will start at 4 o'clock. Coming up, we have news with Jacqueline LaBelle. Following news, we are going to talk about what Facebook is doing. Facebook got fined. So first, we've got to look into that fine. Second thing I want to get to is the facial recognition that Facebook has put out a patent on and what that might mean. And we'll talk with Professor Amy Morrison about that. And I also have a question. I don't know if anybody can answer it, but it deals with fuel supply. I was getting gas this morning, and I looked at the tanker truck and thought, now, how long does one fill-up from that thing actually last? How many times do tanker trucks go to gas stations? Anybody know? If you do, Mike at 980cfpl.ca. I was wondering that this morning. We will take a break for news. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980cfpl. Still not a lot coming out regarding what's happening in Toronto. Heightened police presence. That's kind of where it cuts off. There have been... Some thoughts that it could be a a threat of this kind or that kind. It is definitely a threat of some kind. Now, uh, Global News has just obtained internal police document that says a threat of vehicle ramming attack near CN Tower prompted the increase in police presence on Thursday. So this gets back to what we were talking about earlier. If this was an actual substantiated threat, obviously someone needs to be arrested. If this was a hoax, then someone needs to be arrested. You can't have people going around doing things like this. The cost is absolutely astronomical for something like this. So Global News has obtained an internal Toronto police document that says threat of a vehicle ramming attack near CN Tower prompted the increase in police presence Today, Uh, the way that it's worded, it doesn't appear that the threat is still continuing or perhaps uh, they still are. Police memo says it has not received any information regarding a specific criminal extremist threat to the city of Toronto. Uh, Then they go on to say a heightened vigilance in these areas for suspicious behavior, including pre-incident indicators may deter criminal and extremist activity. So maybe that is why this has all been carried out. So there has been increased police presences downtown in Toronto, at CN Tower, at other tourist spots like Canada's Wonderland. And we'll continue to follow and and have details for you. But that is the latest. And you can visit globalnews.ca or 980cfpl.ca and get right up to date. We have a 
conversation coming up that's going to start with the fine of Facebook going back to Cambridge Analytica. Facebook has been fined by the UK. So we'll deal with what that means. But then I want to deal with something, and I tweeted this out yesterday. If you go to at Stubbs980, you can find a story that was put out on Tuesday in the New York Times. And it will talk about the second half of our conversation. The push for facial facial recognition prompts privacy advocates to speak up. Facebook has applied to patent a little something, and it deals with facial recognition. And it deals with something that would seem very harmless. Hey, I want to post a picture of me on Facebook. Hey, I want to post a picture of me and my family on Facebook. Every time you do that, you're kind of helping in what they've applied for in terms of this patent. Maybe take out your tinfoil hat. Don't put it on, but have it next to you. Because it's getting to the point where you look at Minority Report that we highlighted earlier. John Anderton walking through a mall, his retinas being recognized, and people saying, hey, John Anderton, hey, John Anderton. And they did that based on his history. Well, that's kind of the road that this goes down. We'll have it for you next on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have Blue Jays baseball for you tonight. Jays taking on the Boston Red Sox. Paul Tracy, the race car driver, just said something very interesting. And Leonard Fournette, the football player, just said something not very interesting. First, the interesting. Paul Tracy says that Indy Racing League, Indy Car Racing, would be best served if they found a villain. It's a role that he played. It's a classic way to run a sports league. If you are the XFL or you are the AF, the American Association of Football, is that what they're going to be? I think they start next year with four teams or whatever their plan is. That sounds exciting. Uh, If you are either of those, you need to hire Paul Tracy because this is key. What helps Major League Baseball? New York Yankees. Check out the seats in any stadium when the Yankees come to town. Why? Because you either love the Yankees or you hate them. We happen to have a team like that here in this city. When the London Knights go on the road, when Brampton was a team in the Ontario Hockey League, Brampton had three sellouts. Want to know when they were? Opening night. Okay, good for you. They had a sellout when the 0405 Knights came to town. That was their second sellout. And they had a sellout when John Taveras and the Knights came to town. That was it. Those were their three sellouts. One of the big reasons why they now play out of North Bay. You have a team that people love to see because they want to see their team beat them. You have to have a villain. And that's what Paul Tracy has said. If the AF or the XFL want to succeed, they should take that to heart. We are looking at something that we can't really call a villain, but maybe one day we'll look back on it and say, yeah, that, it was a villainous thing. It was created at a university was created to, what, try and help some guys hook up with some girls? Isn't that the story behind Facebook? I didn't watch the movie all that closely. I didn't really care. But it's big now. It's very big. It's really big. And one of the things it has put in line for is a patent on facial recognition. 
Facebook is also about to pay a fine, if they haven't already, because I'm sure they could just write a check or reach into a pocket to get this done, a fine of just under a million dollars for their involvement in the Cambridge Analytica data breach. To understand both of these things to a greater extent, we have a great expert who we rely on for things like this every once in a while, and that is... Professor Amy Morrison from the University of Waterloo. And she joins us now on London Live. Professor Morrison, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Not bad. Facebook makes a lot of money. Nobody is unclear on that. However, it looks as though we're going to see a fine that has been levied, and if I get this right, by the UK? That's right, yep. Okay, so the UK is levying a fine. This goes back to Cambridge Analytica, What does this actually mean? Well, they are being um, held to account over misuse of customer data, so on privacy laws, essentially, where um, it is alleged that the Leave um, Britain, the the Brexit campaign, um, the Leave side hired Cambridge Analytica, which is now becoming well-known for its illicit use of customer, uh, Facebook customer data. Um, So Cambridge Analytica is implicated in, in using this data in the leave campaign um, improperly. And so the fine is being levied against Facebook for breaching user privacy and consent laws in allowing this um, information to escape and be used in these ways. And and the fine um, is notable for two reasons. One, it's the highest maximum uh, allowable fine under the law as it is currently written. And the second notable thing is it represents about 10 minutes of the annual profit that Facebook makes. So it is both... (laughs) You know, in one way, we can think of it as a very high fine, and in the other way, think of it as like kind of, you know, dropping a quarter down a sewer grate and not really worrying about it, right, because it's an inconsequential amount of money. The laws in the EU are changing around that now, where fines in the future will be um, up to 4% um, of a company's worth, which would be something more meaningful than a fine of 10 minutes. Yeah, Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Yeah. Wouldn't we all be so lucky to be making that kind of money in ten minutes? Now, absolutely. With regard to the fact that they've been fined, is this anything that might have Facebook still looking at? Okay, well, we we shouldn't do that again because because we don't want that ten minute fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the Facebook response to this. I mean, they are are saying that they will be responding formally to this fine soon, but they haven't said anything. But what they've been saying recently around all of the judgments coming down against the Cambridge Analytica scandal is that, first, it was Cambridge Analytica and not Facebook that misused the data. That's their first defense. And the second defense is Cambridge Analytica was allowed to use this data because of a loophole um, in the access it offered to app developers that has been closed since around 2012. So Facebook is sort of saying, like, well, this is all in the past, and also it's not us, and it's not really relevant anymore. So they're trying to distance themselves from these user privacy and consent scandals. Professor Amy Morrison with us from the University of Waterloo. As we look at this fine for Facebook, Professor Morrison, any idea how Facebook is doing since all of this came out and people started saying, well, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to be on Facebook anymore. There were any number of hashtags that encouraged people to give up their Facebook accounts. Was that just kind of a little ripple? Well, I think people are increasingly aware, um, if they were not before, that the reason that these social media services are, quote, unquote, free is because, in fact, the users are what is being sold (laughs) to the ultimate um, customers of Facebook, which is 
um, advertisers and consulting companies, um, and those who wish to use personal information for commercial gain. So I think people are increasingly aware um, that Facebook is not designed for users, but is designed for the advertisers to whom user data is sold. And whether people are sort of existentially uncomfortable with that enough to stop using Facebook um, is, an, is an open question. I would say certainly people are becoming a lot more aware um, that their information sharing practices on Facebook are not just benign, but that they are always going to be monetized and sold in some way to someone. And that keeps it free. Absolutely. I mean, free. All it costs is, you know, your personal profile, your credit <laughs> score, your picture, and a list of all your friends and the jobs you've ever had, right? That's, you know, it's, yeah. it's the type of information that if, uh, for example, a, a census officer <laughs> came to your house and said, you know, I need you to tell me every part-time job you ever had and how close all these friends are, and can we have all of your photo albums, please, and uh, your purchasing history and all your credit card records, we would we would freak out about that. And yet this is all information that whether we are aware of it or not, um, we do give voluntarily um, to Facebook. University of Waterloo professor Amy Morrison with us as we look into Facebook. Actually, let's look back a couple of days ago. Natasha Singer had a piece in the New York Times that dealt with Facebook and facial recognition, real face Facebook. What exactly is happening here, and and should we be freaked out by this? Facial recognition is um, a huge artificial intelligence problem currently that has massive surveillance, security, and commercial applications. So one of the examples discussed in the Singer piece was that, um, you know, Facebook put in for a patent that maybe it would be using its uh, facial recognition software to identify individual people walking through department stores and then from that be able to call up a kind of consumer profile of that person up to like, um, how much money we would be able to guess that they were going to spend or what their credit rating is like or what occupation they have, um, which I, I think is a kind of creepy thing. Um, but, but that's like a, they say, oh, just because we put in a patent doesn't mean we intend to develop that, um, which is a kind of a spurious argument, I think. But they frame facial recognition as a way to um, protect consumers against identity set, uh, theft. So it's, it's possibly um, coercive when they say, if you don't let us use facial recognition on your photos, we can't stop people from stealing your photos and using them on fake profiles, which kind of makes people feel like, oh, I better say yes to this, you know, or else my identity is going to get stolen. But if you do say yes to this, in some ways your identity has been stolen by Facebook because you have given them permission to go through its enormously, unprecedentedly large um, trove of photographs searching through for every instance where you appear. And, and for every photo that we add to that database and for every person who gives permission um, to have their image recognized in that database actually creates value for Facebook because it's a huge data set on which it can train its artificial intelligence to get better, right? And the better its facial recognition technology gets, the more value it has when it sells it to other companies. So every time you tag yourself in a photo, you're teaching Facebook's AI to read photos better. So you are kind of performing a free uh, bit of labor for Facebook there when you are teaching it who is who in each of the photos that you upload. So this patent is out there and they're saying, no, 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 we're not going to use it. But it's one of those things where once this stuff gets good enough, once this software recognition gets good enough, they'll just have that patent already in place and be able to go, okay, flip that switch. That's right. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> If anybody else tried to commercialize it, Facebook would be able to say, well, we have the patent on that, you see. So it's a kind of like 
like staking a claim in mining, right? You just claim a patch of territory, and maybe there'll be something there, and maybe there won't. But if there is, you want to make sure it belongs to you. So Facebook can say it has no intent of, of developing or commercializing this, but should that become viable, for them to have the patent means that they are reserving to themselves the right to exploit that um, and not to others, which means that they, if it's going to happen, they want to be the ones that do it. Right. Well, I, as a company, you almost look at that and you say, well, if that's the way that the world goes, yeah, they want to have the control over it. You can't mm-hmm. fault them for that. But the idea that our world could go there, that's the the wild part of this. That's right. Yeah. And, and I think the the options that are presented to consumers at the point of consent, right? Well, they'll say like, well, if you let us look at your photos, we can make sure that other people don't steal them. They don't say, and by the way, we've put in a patent where maybe someday, you know, you're going to walk into Baskin Robbins and we're going to identify you and they're going to guess how much they can charge you for ice cream based on your income level that we know from the posts that you've put, right? So they don't sort of lay out the full potential for commercialization from that. They tend to give information to consumers that is like the most minimal and attractive type of information. And this is what the new consent and privacy laws um, in the European Union are meant to address is what does it mean to give informed consent to Facebook to use your data when they have a much better idea of what they might be doing with it at scale than you as an individual could ever really guess. I'm getting a mask. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and buy a good quality mask. Well, do you know there's there's sort of like uh, art projects and some sort of fashion projects currently that are about um, devising facial coverings or makeup tricks that could fool artificial intelligences. So this is something that the artistic community and the fashion community has started to consider is how can we move through public spaces where we're often subjected to different types of photographic surveillance that we may or may not know about and not have our faces be algorithmically recognizable in this way. So there is a market for that. And and if you Google it, I'm sure you'll find a, a mask that works for you. Professor Morrison, this is why it's so much fun to speak with you. Thank you so much for the time. Oh, you're very welcome. Professor Amy Morrison, professor of English at the University of Waterloo, but always has some really unique thoughts on things that deal with, in this case, Facebook, the digital world. You can actually find her on Twitter at DigiWonk, at D-I-G-I-W-O-N-K. And she's a really interesting follow for that reason. But seriously, I'm getting a mask. You know, is that, well, you know what? We talk a lot sometimes about what Star Trek has done for our world. Cell phones are attributed to Star Trek. The thing that keeps popping into my head is a different movie. Hunger Games. And I'm not saying that we're all going to live in a forest and, you know, there's going to be a Hunger Games or we're going to be put into an arena. Not that part of it. But inside the city where everybody's got the the purple dyed hair, the blue dyed hair, and and you've got this big divide where part of the world is living this really posh life and the other part is living anything but posh. That keeps sticking in my head that we're on that kind of track. And at the same time, we're also on this other kind of track where we've got that digital double. We've got the information that people want to find out about us and they will do whatever it takes. And the idea that they've patented this They have the use of anything you put on Facebook because you sign on for that agreement. That's that's how they make money. And I think Professor Morrison outlined that perfectly, that that's the deal. 
in all of this. What you post, that's theirs too. And what they do with it? Well, they don't care about an $800,000 fine. What they do with it becomes really important going forward. We'll continue to watch the story, but I'll watch it more in fascination than anything. I don't post pictures on Facebook. Not of me, anyway. Try not to. Try to cut down. Up next, we'll close out the show. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Tomorrow on the show, we'll find out how autonomous vehicles are doing in Detroit, and we may be able to talk with someone who claims to have gone an entire year without spending a dollar. Those stories and more. Thanks to Andrew Graham, Jacqueline LaBelle. Up next with news on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.